Chapter Eleven, Part One of A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by William Law, Chapter Eleven, Part One. Chapter Eleven, showing how great devotion fills our lives with the greatest peace and happiness that can be enjoyed in this world. Some people will perhaps object that all these rules of holy living unto God in all that we do are too great a restraint upon human life, that it will be made too anxious a state by thus introducing a regard to God in all our actions, and that by depriving ourselves of so many seemingly innocent pleasures we shall render our lives dull, uneasy, and melancholy. To which it may be answered, first, that these rules are prescribed for, and will certainly procure a quite contrary end, that instead of making our lives dull and melancholy, they will render them full of content and strong satisfactions, that by these rules we only change the childish satisfactions of our vain and sickly passions for the solid enjoyments and real happiness of a sound mind. Secondly, that there is no foundation for comfort in the enjoyments of this life, but in the assurance that a wise and good God governeth the world. And so the more we find out God in everything, the more we apply to Him in every place, the more we look up to Him in all our actions, the more we conform to His will, the more we act according to his wisdom and imitate his goodness by so much the more do we enjoy God partake of the divine nature and heighten and increase all that is happy and comfortable in human life third he that is endeavouring to subdue and root out of his mind all those passions of pride envy ambition which religion opposes is doing more to make himself happy even in this life than he that is contriving means to indulge them. For these passions are the causes of all the disquiets and vexations of human life. They are the dropsies and fevers of our minds, vexing them with false appetites and restless cravings after such things as we do not want, and spoiling our taste for those things which are our proper good. Do but imagine that you, somewhere or other, saw a man proposed reason as the rule of all his actions, that had no desires but after such things as nature wants, and religion approves. That was as pure from all the motions of pride, envy, and covetousness, as from thoughts of murder, that in this freedom from worldly passions he had a soul full of divine love, wishing and praying that all men may have what they want of worldly things and be partakers of eternal glory in the life to come. Do but fancy a man living in this manner, and your own conscience will immediately tell you that he is the happiest man in the world, and that it is not in the power of the richest fancy to invent any higher happiness in the present state of life. And on the other hand, if you suppose him to be in any degree less perfect, if you suppose him but subject to one foolish fondness or vain passion, your own conscience will again tell you 
that he so far lessens his own happiness and robs himself of the true enjoyment of his other virtues so truth is it that the more we live by the rules of religion the more peaceful and happy do we render our lives again as it thus appears that real happiness is only to be had from the greatest degrees of piety the greatest denials of our passions and the strictest rules of religion so the same truth will appear from a consideration of human misery if we look into the world and view the disquiets and troubles of human life we shall find that they are all owing to our violent and irreligious passions now all trouble and uneasiness is founded in the want of something or other would we therefore know the true cause of our troubles and disquiets we must find out the cause of our wants because that which creates and increaseth our wants does in the same degree create and increase our troubles and disquiets god almighty has sent us into the world with very few wants meat and drink and clothing are the only things necessary in life and as these are only our present needs so the present world is well furnished to supply these needs if a man had half the world in his power he can make no more of it than this as he wants it only to support an animal life so it is unable to do anything else for him or to afford him any other happiness this is the state of man born with few wants and into a large world very capable of supplying them so that one would reasonably suppose that men would pass their lives in content and thankfulness to god at least that they should be free from violent disquiets and vexations as being placed in a world that has more than enough to relieve all their wants but if to all this we add that this short life thus furnished with all we want in it is only a short passage to eternal glory where we shall be clothed with the brightness of angels and enter into the joys of god we might still more reasonably expect that human life should be a state of peace and joy and delight in god thus it would certainly be if reason had its full power over us but alas though god and nature and reason make human life thus free from wants and so full of happiness yet our passions in rebellion against god against nature and reason create a new world of evils and fill human life with imaginary wants and vain disquiets the man of pride has a thousand wants which only his own pride has created and these render him as full of trouble as if god had created him with a thousand appetites without creating anything that was proper to satisfy them envy and ambition have also their endless wants which disquiet the souls of men and by their contradictory motions render them as foolishly miserable as those who want to fly and creep at the same time let but any complaining disquieted man tell you the ground of his uneasiness and you will plainly see that he is the author of his own torment that he is vexing himself at some imaginary evil which will cease to torment him as soon as he is content to be that which god and nature and reason require him to be if you should see a man passing his days in disquiet because he could not walk on water or catch birds as they fly by him 
you would readily confess that such a one might thank himself for such uneasiness but now if you look into the most tormenting disquiets of life you will find them all thus absurd where people are only tormented by their own folly and vexing themselves at such things as no more concern them nor are any more their proper good than walking upon the water or catching birds what can you conceive more silly and extravagant than to suppose a man racking his brains and studying night and day how to fly wandering from his own house and home wearying himself with climbing upon every ascent cringing and courting everybody he meets to lift him up from the ground bruising himself with continual falls and at last breaking his neck and all this from an imagination that it would be glorious to have the eyes of people gazing up at him and mighty happy to eat and drink and sleep at the top of the highest tree in the kingdom would you not readily own that such a one was only disquieted by his own folly if you ask what it signifies to suppose such silly creatures as these as are nowhere found in human life it may be answered that wherever you see an ambitious man there you see this vain and senseless flyer again if you should see a man that had a large pond of water yet living in continual thirst not suffering himself to drink half a draught for fear of lessening his pond if you should see him wasting his time and strength in fetching more water to his pond always thirsty yet always carrying a bucket of water in his hand watching early and late to catch the drops of rain gaping after every cloud and running greedily to every mire and mud in the hopes of water and always studying how to make every ditch empty itself into his pond if you should see him grow grey and old in these anxious labours and at last end a careful thirsty life by falling into his own pond would you not say that such a one was not only the author of all his own disquiets but was foolish enough to be reckoned amongst idiots and madmen yet foolish and absurd as this character is it does not represent half the follies and absurd disquiets of the covetous man i could now easily proceed to show the same effects for all our other passions and make it plainly appear that all our miseries vexations and complaints are entirely of our own making and that in the same absurd manner as these instances of the covetous and ambitious man look where you will you will see all worldly vexations but like the vexation of him that was always in mire and mud in search of water to drink when he had more at home than was sufficient for a hundred horses celia is always telling you how provoked she is what intolerable shocking things happen to her what monstrous usage she suffers and what vexation she meets with everywhere she tells you that her patience is quite worn out and there is no bearing the behaviour of people every assembly that she is at sends her home provoked something or other has been said or done that no reasonable well-bred person ought to bear poor people that want her charity are sent away with hasty answers not because she has not a heart to part with any money but because she is too full of some trouble of her own to attend to the complaints of others celia has no business upon her hands 
but to receive the income of a plentiful fortune and yet by the doleful turn of her mind you would be apt to think that she had neither food nor lodging if you see her look more pale than ordinary if her lips tremble when she speaks to you it is because she is just come from a visit where lupus took no notice at all of her but talked all the time to lucinda who has not half her fortune when cross accidents have so disordered her spirits that she is forced to send for the doctor to make her able to eat she tells him in great anger at providence that she never was well since she was born and that she envies every beggar that she sees in health this is the disquiet of celia who has nothing to torment her but her own spirit if you could inspire her with christian humility you need do no more to make her as happy as any person in the world this virtue would make her thankful to god for half so much health as she has had and help her to enjoy more for the time to come this virtue would keep off tremblings of the spirits and loss of appetite and her blood would need nothing else to sweeten it i've just touched upon these absurd characters for no other end but to convince you in the plainest manner that the strictest rules of religion are so far from rendering a life dull anxious and uncomfortable as is above objected that on the contrary all the miseries vexations and complaints that are in the world are owing to the want of religion being directly caused by those absurd passions which religion teaches us to deny for all the wants which disturb human life which make us uneasy to ourselves quarrelsome with others and unthankful to god which weary us in vain labours and foolish anxieties which carry us from project to project from place to place in a poor pursuit of we know not what are the wants which neither god nor nature nor reason hath subjected us to but are solely infused into us by pride envy ambition and covetousness so far therefore as you reduce your desires to such things as nature and reason require so far as you regulate all the motions of your heart by the strict rules of religion so far you remove yourself from that infinity of wants and vexations which torment every heart that is left to itself most people indeed confess that religion preserves us from a great many evils and helps us in many respects to a more happy enjoyment of ourselves but then they imagine that this is only true of such a moderate share of religion as only gently restrains us from the excesses of our passions they suppose that the strict rules and restraints of an exalted piety are such contradictions to our nature as must needs make our lives dull and uncomfortable although the weakness of this objection sufficiently appears from what has already been said yet i shall add one word more to it this objection supposes that religion moderately practised adds much to the happiness of life but that such heights of piety as the perfection of religion requireth have a contrary effect it supposes therefore that it is happy to be kept from the excesses of envy but unhappy to be kept from other degrees of envy that it is happy to be delivered from a boundless ambition but unhappy 
to be without a more moderate ambition it supposes also that the happiness of life consists in a mixture of virtue and vice a mixture of ambition and humility charity and envy heavenly affection and covetousness all which is as absurd as to suppose that it is happy to be free from excessive pains but unhappy to be without more moderate pains or that the happiness of health consisted in being partly sick and partly well for if humility be the peace and rest of the soul then no one has so much happiness from humility as he that is the most humble if excessive envy is a torment of the soul he most perfectly delivers himself from torment that most perfectly extinguishes every spark of envy if there is any peace and joy in doing any action according to the will of God that he that brings the most of his actions to this rule does most of all increase the peace and joy of his life and thus it is in every virtue if you act up to every degree of it the more happiness you have from it and so of every vice if you only abate its excesses you do but little for yourself but if you reject it in all degrees then you feel the true ease and joy of a reformed mind as an example if religion only restrains the excesses of revenge but lets the spirit still live within you in lesser instances your religion may have made your life a little more outwardly decent but not made you at all happier or easier in yourself but if you have once sacrificed all thoughts of revenge in obedience to God and a resolve to return good for evil at all times that you may render yourself more like God and fitter for his mercy in the kingdom of love and glory this is a height of virtue that will make you feel its happiness End of chapter 11 part 1 Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org